Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Real Forno Show. It is officially the start of the 2023 offseason for all 32 teams in the NFL, as we just had Super Bowl 57 yesterday. And we're going to talk about that game, how it was a tremendous performance, things the Vikings can look at how, as far as roster construction and how they can improve their team to get to the Super Bowl, inconsistency in officiating, and an argument why the Vikings should ignore cornerback with their first draft pick. Welcome to The Real Forno Show, managing editor of the USA Today's Vikings Wire, betting and college football analysis for the Fantasy Points website, publisher of Substack Run and Shooter, host of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, as well as a member of Climbing the pocket. You are looking live at a wonderful Tyler and a great producer Dave up in the top corner. Dave, Super Bowl yesterday. What did yes, you it eat? was. What did you eat? I had pizza, traditional Super Bowl meal, nothing special. All right, hell yeah. Well, I don't know if you saw um, what I tweeted last night. I smoked a turkey. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, made my own roasted garlic butter rub. Ugh. Tim Taylor grunt. Let me. It was tremendous. And let, let's let's start talking about the game, Dave. Um, that was one of the better Super Bowls we've seen in a long time. It was back and forth. It was high octane. It was excitement. It was an offensive chess match. The defenses could only do so much to stop these offenses. Because the offenses were very pinpoint. And it ended up coming down to a couple of of plays that ended up turning the tide into the Chiefs' favor. Um, One of those was uh, Jalen Hurts just mysteriously losing a fumble. And Nick Bolton scooping it up and scoring from about 40, 50 yards out. And then that phantom, or not phantom, however you want to view it, that holding call at the very end of the game that... You could argue shouldn't have been called, and we're going to talk all about it. But the one thing I want to talk about here, Dave, we have been spoiled this season. The two best teams were the Chiefs and the Eagles, and we got to see them play high-octane, quality football, where this is the first Super Bowl ever that both teams scored over 35 points, and it was not the highest-scoring Super Bowl because 41-33, to the Patriots losing to the Eagles scored one more point but this is the only Super Bowl where both teams got over 35 what were your main takeaways from the game well first off I want to award people you're having internet issues whether it's solar flares Chinese spy balloons whatever uh Tyler's internet is going real wonky and that's uh causes Mm -hmm. sometimes delay in his voice or the potato pixels on a screen, it does clear up. Just be patient. Now, my impressions on the Super Bowl was, I thought it was great. We well, had the opening drives on both teams scored, right? And then they scored again, and we were wondering, well, is defense going to show up to play? And then they got stops, and then we had another score, and back and forth, the, the doink off the uh, – upright and you thought oh that's gonna come back to haunt him and you know and it was the back and forth and then philly towards the end going wow we gotta get points so we'll make it 
hit that field goal, we'll be up by, uh, what was it, six at the time, and you're going, ah, 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 you know, that's going to screw it up. And the Chiefs come down, and then Philly answers and gets the two-point conversion or whatever the heck it was, you know, and then tie it up, and then the last drive, and then then it gets silly at there at the end with the call. You uh, you see the the proper though not as exciting strategy of run the clock down, run the clock down, run the clock down by the Chiefs. You know, versus if it was uh, the one call prior to the holding, if the Eagles would have gotten the ball back with about two minutes to go, they could have driven down. It's, you know, but that was, you know, time. Did he catch the ball? Did he not? Do we do? It's just, there was some wonky stuff there at the end that was a little disappointing, but overall I thought the Super Bowl was good. Um, The commercials were okay. For the most part, I have a couple favorites. The halftime show with Rihanna, I thought was decent, not all time. All time, by all means, still goes to the reigning champ, Prince. Um, but it was decent. It wasn't terrible. And we've seen some terrible ones before. So I overall, I thought it was good. I thought the grass, the turf, that was a huge issue and needs to be resolved in the future if they ever use Arizona again. Whether it's the condensation for moving the the turf plate in from outside, or if it's all the paint in this new, you know, multi-million dollar turf they used, whatever it is, that needs resolved because they shouldn't have that. Players do not need to be slipping all over the place, and it didn't matter what position it was, whether, you know, you're running back, whether you're a wide receiver, whether you're a lineman, whether you're a kicker, slipping was happening all over the place, and that should not be the case in the premier game that is the Super Bowl. But overall, it was quite an enjoyable Super Bowl. Close, competitive, and uh, you got your money's worth. It was. It's why the NFL rules the sports world. Absolutely. And the frustrating part about the field specifically is if you don't know, there's a gentleman by the name of George Toma. He is called the Sod Father. He has presided over the grounds of every single Super Bowl that has ever existed. Uh, He's been doing this over 60 years. He's in his 90s. This was his swan song. Um, A really unfortunate way to go out. And apparently they spent over $800,000 on this turf for this game. Another really, really unfortunate element, but they need to figure this out. And as much as players don't like playing on grass fields, it's almost better that they don't ever play on grass. Oh, you mean playing on turf kind of thing, synthetic turf. They prefer grass. Yes. They don't like playing on They much prefer grass. Turf. But the thing with turf, Dave, is you get consistency. Mm -hmm. Even with elements, it's you still have a relative consistency where it's not going to completely disrupt everything you want to do like a grass field would. And I think that's something that they need to consider. And I know the players aren't going to love it, but consistency is such a big thing as far as trying to make sure you have the best game possible. And I don't think that it necessarily was a major factor in the chiefs winning or the Eagles losing. It affected both teams. Had to deal with it. Equal. Yeah. Um, 
it's still a variable you don't want in the game. Um, you exactly. don't want to have those issues and you want to make sure that you remove all of those so you can have as clean of a championship game as possible. And I think that the NFL is going to have to look long and hard about what, what they're supposed to do in the future and what they need to do to ensure that kind of game. Now let's talk about the elephant in the room, Dave. Um, what did you think about that holding call uh, with under two minutes to go on James Bradbury holding Juju Smith-Schuster for the line of scrimmage? Sorry, the graphic is not as good as I normally do, but it's what I could pull. Uh, Bradbury said he held him. And it obviously, when you're when we watched it, and where the ball went, and where um, Juju Schuster ended up, you thought something funky happened because he should have been there. That's a timing pattern to that back corner. The timing got screwed up, and when the flag flew, I thought instantly it's defensive pass interference or holding. It was the holding call, and. Technically, he's holding, and this is probably the best picture of it. He's got him around his waist, and he's got his other arm hooked in front of him. Technically, that's holding. You know, me loving the big round bellies, I dispute holding on that side of the ball, too. Um, It seemed ticky-tack to me that all game long, they basically let him play, and then at the end, they called it that very much affected the outcome and you don't want the zebras affecting the outcome, especially in the biggest game of the season, though they are technically correct. It was holding. It's uh, how much did you, you know, how much are you swaying the game that way? And nobody likes to see that. Here's my issue with it. I don't even have an issue as a single standalone call. It's holding. My issue is lack of consistency from the officials throughout the game. Because there were a couple even more egregious examples of this exact play that weren't called. And if you're going to set the precedent of, hey, I'm not going to call this, and then you call it, you're being relatively hypocritical that you're not you're not calling a blatant penalty but then, oh, I'm going to pull the flag in this huge moment. And you have these conspiracy theorists, and it's become a running joke online, mm-hmm. that the NFL is scripted. It's instances like this that, that give them ammunition because it just feels like, okay, you're kind of giving Pat Mahomes the game here because now the Eagles are going to get the ball with like eight seconds left. It's going to be the end of it. Yada, yada, bing, bang. Like, I don't subscribe to that. I don't think the NFL is scripted in one bit, but you see these things and the inconsistency with officiating. I I don't care if they call it or not. Just if you're going to call it in the first, second, and third quarter, call it in the fourth. If you're not going to call it in the first, second, third quarter, don't call it in the fourth quarter. You can't pick and choose when to call a penalty. And to me, that is the issue that needs to be talked about. It's not this singular call. The consistency of officiating was a problem in this game. Uh, Mm -hmm. Avante Maddox, I believe, is the one who uh, blatantly held earlier in the game. I cannot remember who the Chiefs receiver was, but it was worse than this, much worse. And they didn't call it. They let him play. I want that to be called or not called the exact same way that this one was called. 
Mm-hmm. That is, that's the big thing. It's, if you argue that this isn't a hold, <laughs> hell no, it's a hold. Now, if the ball's in the air, you can get away with it because it's not pass interference. The ball's way overthrown. It's behind the line of scrimmage. The one argument you can say is it's within the first five yards. And you can have contact within the first five yards and you can try and uh, get your way. Like, you can kind of jump through hoops in that. At the end of the day, the referee's officiating cons- consistency stunk. Well, and it has all season. We've watched it. The only consistent thing is it's their inconsistency has been all season. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Um, Dan, I don't even have an issue with the time. I have an issue with you're not calling it consistently. And it doesn't, like, you know what? If they call it in the first quarter and don't call in the fourth, I'm going to have the same issue. It's not a, hey, I'm upset that the Chiefs won, I'm or I'm upset that the Eagles lost because of this call. I'm upset because the refs could have con- been consistent and called the game the same throughout, and they didn't. And like that, to me, is the worst part. Um, it's not fair to the fans. It's not fair to the players. Imagine being the Eagles. Jalen Hurts was the best player on the football field yesterday. Bar none. Mahomes overall is a better player. Just in that singular game, there was nobody better on the field than Jalen Hurts. He was phenomenal all game long. He made big play after big play, four touchdowns, almost 400 yards of total offense. Hurts was in his bag. He was making pinpoint accurate throws. Um, I was watching yesterday before the game, um, the 20-3 Super Bowl, the Falcons and Patriots. Matt Ryan was throwing some absolute darts to Julio Jones where it's just like a normal human can't have that kind of pinpoint accuracy. Hurts had that with a couple throws to Dallas Goddard, Devonta Smith. And that is what I'm going to take away from this game. Jalen Hurts, I don't mm-hmm. care what the score was. Hell, they had the only MVP not from a winning Super Bowl team in Chuck Howley there celebrating his Hall of Fame nomination, and he'll be inducted this upcoming August. You should have named Jalen Hurts the MVP of this game. And it's not a slight to Patrick Mahomes. Well, Jaylen you Hurts know, Patrick Mahomes made his case time. with the, it you know. It wasn't Jalen Hurts's. Oh. I'm sorry. Well, now, Jalen Hurts played outstanding ball. I agree with you. I, but there, you can make an argument both ways. Jalen Hurts, you didn't see any effect from his injury until the very, very last Hail Mary throw. Um, but that wasn't when, an injury. He stepped on Jason Kelsey. And the last Hail Mary? Yeah, he stepped came on the short? center's foot. I missed it then. That's why it went so short. Um, I did too. Somebody pointed it out and I went and looked. I'm like, oh, good catch. Okay. Didn't see that. All right. But you had when Mahomes went down again, obviously in real pain, when he had his ankle turned once again. Just to come back from that, because playing with a high ankle sprain is extremely painful. Obviously, they gave him something some way, somehow shot him up with Toradol or whatever they used. And he came back and he played. That's a gutsy, gutsy performance. And he's known for gutsy performances. We like quarterbacks with gutsy built into them. Um, And he did that 
He obviously helped engineer the winning drive that goes towards that. Yes, did the Chiefs' offense score as many points as the Eagles' offense? No, they did not. Chiefs got one of their scores on that uh, fumble recovery and uh, almost had a seven more on a fumble recovery that was an incomplete pass. But it was, I could see why they like to give it, they tend to give the MVP to the winning team. It is so rare, just like MVPs, it's rare to go to anybody but a quarterback. Giving the MVP to the non-winning team is rare as well. So you can make an argument that he deserved it, and by golly, he he had a fantastic game. But he ended up short. Really unfortunate. I hate that the Hertz was I, I feel he was robbed, but I'll I'll get over it. But it's it's less than twenty four hours later. That's why um I'm kind of feeling that way. But let's let's talk about what we can really take from these teams because the one th- oh Odie, you okay, bud? Yeah. I gave hey, him a licky mat of peanut butter. Mm. Mm-hmm. He uh um the wife is still working, so I am I am on Odie duty, which I am always for Odie duty. Um, doing the show can be a little difficult with a French bulldog puppy who loves being codependent. Um, so let, let's talk about what we can take from this game because this is a copycat league. Mm-hmm. You see it time and time and time again. What you see in the Super Bowl gets copied, and they teams start to build that way. And look, you're going to hear a lot of lazy analysis about this. Oh, the Vikings need to do this, 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 and this in order to become a Super Bowl team. It's not about needing to do any specific thing. You're not going to find Patrick Mahomes in the draft. Like You can't expect to find this great quarterback that everybody's like, I don't know, is he good? He couldn't even win more than seven games at Texas Tech. Like There's so, there's so many anomalies with – like how to look at this. So I like to look at it from a broad stroke. Well, I like to look at it from, you can find that type of quarterback generally once a generation and that's it. That's how rare they are. You had it with Tom Brady. Now you have it with Mahomes. Even though there's great quarterbacks in between, none of them have done what they have. And that's why it is so rare, but you've got to keep taking your shot. At trying to find those guys. Yeah. Um, and I like to look at it from what roster construction tips can you take to help your roster become better? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think there's a few things. And I wrote a piece for Vikings Wire about the uh, what they can take from the Eagles. And my uh, writer, Kevin Fielder, who mm-hmm. you need to make sure you check his work out. He does a lot of really good stuff, really deep divey stuff for me um he wrote about the chiefs and i'll go through each one we'll go through the eagles we'll go through the chiefs and we'll kind of do like a little bit of rapid fire because we want to make sure we talk a lot of draft stuff too um the biggest thing you have to you have to invest in quarterback and the eagles have invested more in quarterback than any team over the last like six seven years they made the big trade up to go get carson wentz they uh traded right before that for sam bradford they signed nick Foles back after trading Bradford to make sure that they had a capable backup. Well, once Nick Foles went bye-bye to Jacksonville, then you had, uh, they're like, hey, 
let's draft Jalen Hurts and let's make sure we can continue to fortify the position. Now, the position I want the Vikings to take is you have to continue to try and find the guy. The process of taking Kellen Mond is phenomenal. You want to have a guy you can grow, develop behind your starter. He can maybe come in and be your guy. And at the very worst, you have a very cheap backup for a long time. And I think all those things are objectively great. Now, you need to take one at pick 51 like the Eagles did with Hurts. No, you do if you think that it makes sense. You do if you think that that player is going to be potentially great. And they saw something in Hurts. Hurts is a very unique case. He basically was a running back his freshman year at, at Alabama and has grown each year significantly in certain areas. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to find that again more than more likely because how he's grown and developed is is more abnormal. Uh, it's a similar way to how like Josh Allen just went from being super inconsistent at Wyoming to being an absolute elite thrower of the football in the NFL. It's something that you can't count on. But what you can count on, Dave, is you can count on taking a chance and it potentially working out. The New England Patriots, over the course of the last decade, have taken Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett. They flipped them both in trades because they wanted to keep investing a quarterback just in case Tom went bye-bye. And they had cheap backups for those years because they took those guys. The Packers of the 90s hey. traded Mark Brunel and Matt Hasselbeck for multiple picks because even though they had Brett Favre, they still kept investing. I want the Vikings to do that. Take guys with a high upside in the middle or late rounds and see if you can get something out of them. If you can't get anything out of them, you have a cheap backup. You don't have to spend like one to six million on one. Like, well, and other examples is you talked about the Patriots. The Patriots had Drew Bledsoe, who was at the top of his game back in that part of the mm-hmm. day when they drafted Tom Brady, right? And yeah. then, um, which is a prime example, the Chiefs had um, Smith as their quarterback who had been to the playoffs three years in a row. They had an 11-win team and a 12-win team, but they were realizing they were stuck and not getting past the divisional round, so they took the investment and took the kid out of what was he had a Texas or wherever, Patrick Mahomes. And that turned out great. The constant investing in quarterbacks, at minimum, generally, if they pan out and you coach them well, returns draft picks at the end in some sort of trade scenario or whatever. If you can't develop them or they're busts, uh, like uh, Mond, for an example, well, then you go again. You keep attempting to find those people. And as I've said before, you should do it at least every other year, period. Yeah, it's – I just want the Vikings to take chances. You don't even – I'm not even arguing that you should take a chance in the first round. If the guy's there and you you think he's the guy, you take him. Absolutely. Um, I want to see that. But it's more so that if if you know that – like especially Kirk's 35, he's going to hit the plateau if he hasn't already and the decline is coming. Start preparing for it. 
Drafting a guy is one of the best ways you can take. You never know if you're going to end up with a Russell Wilson, a Dak Prescott, a Tom Brady. Like I understand we're talking about semi-outliers of being successful starters in the NFL post-round one, but it's not this crazy thing. You have over a quarter of the starters in the NFL weren't drafted in round one. You can find those guys. Find them. And coaching. You have this quarterback Coaching's guy, also a Kevin huge O'Connell. Key of that. Mm-hmm. You hired Kevin O'Connell to find the guy. Let him find the guy. Now, let's continue on. Um, and we'll get more into quarterbacks uh, when we get oh, yeah. further closer to the draft. We'll spend a whole, probably a whole show just on quarterbacks. At least I hope we do. Yes, we will. Oh, we will, Dave. Don't you worry. Um, next up. Um, don't be complacent with skill position players. And what I mean is the Eagles had Dallas Goddard. They had Devonta Smith. They had a good core. They still went out and paid Buku bucks for AJ Brown. They paid a lot to go get him because they realized, Hey, we need that alpha. We need that guy. And I think the Vikings can learn from that. Look, you don't need to go get an AJ Brown, but you need to get a running mate for Hawkinson and Justin Jefferson. The only difference is you're trying to find the Devontae Smith or better and not the A.J. Brown. And I think they they can do that. Don't be complacent with what you have just because it's really good. Always try to get better and improve. And that's one of the reasons why I've been advocating receiver, 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 because it can make a bigger impact than just adding a cornerback who's going to be meh in year one. The thing with cornerback is it's, I'll, I'll talk more about that later, but it's a weak league system. It's not about having great players. It's about having nobody who's bad. Just have good players and a good scheme. And we're going to have the good scheme and good coaching. Now just make sure you have good players. We'll talk more about that later. Um, build the trenches relentlessly was number three. The Eagles are obsessed, absolutely obsessed with drafting offensive defensive linemen high. And it showed. You have uh, Jordan Mailata is the uh, anomaly. He was a former rugby star from Australia. They took him in round seven. They developed him into one of the best left tackles in football. Lane Johnson was, I believe, the fourth overall pick in like 2009. Like they really put a lot of emphasis there. Jason Kelsey was a high pick. Lane Dickerson was a second round pick. Isaac um, Somaliato, I can't remember how to pronounce his name. He he was a a mid-round pick. On defense, Brandon Graham, first round. Fletcher Cox, first round. Like Jordan Davis, first round. Javon Hargrave, Buku Bucks in free agency. Josh Sweat only fell to the fourth round because he basically had no cartilage in his knees. Well, it's working out so far, so that's a home run. And they're willing to take chances on guys who have talent with question marks at certain points because they know that they can extract it from them. And they also made late-season acquisitions of Linval Joseph and Dominican Sue as rotational pieces to help even fortify and strengthen it more. If the Vikings want to take that leap, they need to keep building in the trenches. Oh, absolutely. And and you saw yesterday, which just got me all excited, um, on the short distance, the fourth and ones, right? We talk about Hurts, and somebody mentioned he can you know squat a 1,000 pounds. That wasn't all Hurts. You watched how the linemen got below, the offensive linemen got below the Kansas City defensive lineman, because you always hear low man wins, and that works to a point until you get slapped into the turf. But it did work. They got below, and they exploded. You saw them explode. And they were two, three yards out, and 
Jalen Hurts was behind them, following them. They were winning at the line of scrimmage. You do that, you can do that on every play. The only time that it's different, you don't get as low on a normal running play. On a normal play, not being a short distance play, you're in a more neutral stance. You're usually further up. You're trying to disguise whether you're running or pass blocking. Um, because if you tip either way, that gives the defender a chance. It gives them an advantage. But if you can stay there and you can win underneath and explode out and win that first two or three yards, you are going to constantly drive the ball and you are going to end up winning games. We need offensive linemen constantly that can do that and the depth behind them when they get hurt. You know, we complained about Ed Ingram and his pass blocking. Well, the one good thing he was at was run blocking. He could do that. He could move people. You've got to have that available all around. You want to build up both the run and pass blocking skills to where they dominate. If they dominate the line of scrimmage, you're going to win more football games than you lose. And it's something like, you know, investing in that quarterback every other year. You should be investing in linemen at least try to every year, if not every other year, and bring them up. At the worst, you could trade them just as much because a valuable, good lineman, and as I've harped on it, usually takes them three years to learn at the NFL level, is is worth a lot. So it's it's all how you approach it. And hopefully Quasi and Kevin O'Connell will focus on that and Cooper will get better at teaching that. Um, I, I really think that you don't have to do much with the offensive line. I think that's a great part, Dave. You just need to fortify. You have left guard. You need to decide if Ezra Cleveland's the future. You have right guard. I believe Ed Ingram is the future. He showed plenty of promise this year. Like You can argue, oh, the pressures, the pressures, the pressures. Yeah, they were bad. He had the sixth most offensive guard snaps in the National Football League as a rookie. You don't think that they're going to take the entire offseason, look at every single one of those, and figure out how to make him better? Like, that's the benefit here. He has 1,200-plus snaps of regular season experience. He has a playoff game of experience. This is a guy that is going to be able to learn and grow. And if they re-sign Bradbury, guess what? Now you only have one spot you need to worry about the future. Maybe you trade Ezra Cleveland for a mid-round pick and then reinvest in the offensive line in the first round I'm not sure how you handle Cleveland. On a well, they're probably going to basis. extend him and gain cap if, space if in that ex- process. But his cap hits like $3 million. You're not going to ex- gain much. Uh, yeah, but he's and going if you to. Re-sign, if, you're looking if you at. Resign Bradbury. Are you. Hold on, hold on, Dave. If you resign Bradbury, are you resigning Cleveland too? Because that is the big question. I don't think you do both. Well, Cleveland's on the team next year, no matter what. The question is, if they extend him, whatever his second contract value is, and off the top of my head, I'd probably guess $10 million-ish uh, APY, you can bake that in and then mo- you know pay bonuses early and then spread that all out, and next year's cap, you, know, you may only pay $3 million towards it, and then $3 million the next and whatever, and the cap cost then goes up. Ezra has gotten better year after year. There he hasn't declined at all. It's it's yeah. 
whether they want to use that as a saving money cap space mechanism, and they think that he's going to develop into an even better offensive lineman going into year four. Obviously, Bradbury did as well. Bradbury, now as an unrestricted free agent, is going to cost you money if you want him back. Then they're going to say, do we have options on that? Do we want to pay him the money, which would go against the cap, or do we want to use somebody we have already on the roster, Reed, Chris Reed's possibility, Sokol was on the practice squad of developing, do any of those guys, or do we want to target somebody in the draft? And then if you want to target in the draft, is there any blue chippers out there, guys that come in and instantly play at a pro level and play it well, right, and have a grand future ahead of them? If there are, they obviously go to the top of your board. Ranking-wise, then you've got to evaluate, do I want that in a position, non-premium position, that doesn't affect the game long, you know, day-to-day as much as a wide receiver or a cornerback does? It's it's going to be interesting to see how Kwesi and Kevin O'Connell answer those questions. Yeah, I'm very intrigued to see it. Let's talk about the last two for the Eagles. I don't want to go to the Chiefs, and then we're going to talk uh, corners. The fourth one is running back by committee. And what I mean by that is they don't invest heavily in any running back, and they have running backs that can do multiple things, and it's diverse skill sets. So they can just bring them in interchangeably. They can do a lot of different stuff. I think the Vikings are going to end up taking that approach just because of uh, what Kwesi Dofo Mensa's mindset is. I also wouldn't be shocked if they take a guy like B. John Robinson and just decide to buck the system and be like, hey, we're just going to use this guy as a diverse weapon, and who cares? Um, If they do that, I think it'll be interesting, Um, but that's something for another day. Um, If you want to check out what that would look like, um, Matt Anderson just released a mock draft on VikingsWire.com, and he had Bijan going to the Vikings to 23. Go check that out. Um, The next thing... This is a big one, Dave, and especially you know with the big round bellies, you can attest to this. Continuity. Mm-hmm. If you have continuity, it means so much, especially with those guys on the interior, because there's so much that you have to do with communication, understanding how each other plays, understanding where people are going to be, how to pass off stunts, how to communicate in real time. And that is something you can't teach. It's just something that you grow naturally and organically. The Vikings have had that uh, this year. Um, Ezra Cleveland has played next to Garrett Bradbury now for three years. Um, Ezra Cleveland's played next to Christian Derrissaw for two years. Brian O'Neill had to play next to Ed Ingram, same with Garrett Bradbury, and he was the new guy. But you only have one new guy instead of multiple new guys, and I think that kind of continuity can make a really big difference. And I think going into next year, potentially having all five starters back, I think is going to be um, the easiest path to success. Um, and then that is it for the Eagles. Now let's, let's kind of talk about the Chiefs. Um, and this is kind of stemming from what we talked about the Eagles. Kevin Rowe focused on the offensive line. They saw an offensive line issue, and they attacked it relentlessly. They traded for Orlando Brown Jr. They gave Joe Tooney big money. They drafted Creed Humphrey, who I begged and pleaded for the Vikings to take um, in the 2021 draft. They did not. He ended up going to the Chiefs, and Creed Humphreys already made a couple Pro Bowls. Like, it's just not fair. They also drafted Trey Smith. 
they were the team that took the chance on him because he had some knee issues. There were some medicals related to a potential heart issue. He fell around six despite being a fringe first-round talent. And they just invested. And they fixed it. And now they have a good offensive line. And I think the Vikings need to continue to put resources into that offensive line. Because while Blake Brandell is an exclusive rights free agent, Ole Udo is an unrestricted free agent. So now is Vidarian Lowe going to be able to step up? Is he going to be the guard? Is Chris Reed coming back? Like you got to keep it fortifying that offensive line because you can't expect this unit to stay healthy all year long. I mean, Brian O'Neill's coming back from a partially torn Achilles, which thank goodness it's not a fully torn. Christian Derrissaw had concussion issues. Garrett Bradbury's back. And it sounds like he was very unhappy at the end of the year. So who knows if he actually wants to come back. So many little nuances with this line, but they have to keep investing. And however that looks, just keep doing it and doing it and doing it until you make sure that you are in a great spot. And then don't stop because you don't want to stay complacent. Um, This one I found interesting. Promote coaches from within. Um, The Chiefs have done this very, very successfully. Matt Nagy goes off to Chicago. Eric Biennemi gets promoted. Um, Mike Kafka uh, gets brought up in that system. And then he went on to be the offensive coordinator for the Giants this past year because he got to call plays. Um, Steve Spagnuolo. and And then look at their front office. Ryan Poles is a general manager. Mike Borgonzi is about to be a general manager. Um, this is that there are some things where you can just keep promoting from within. And the nice part about it is, Dave, it goes with the continuity we talked about with the Eagles. Um, that continuity is such a big deal because players are like, oh, this guy's just moving up. Okay, I don't have to worry about a lot changing because they're going to be doing the same kind of things. It's just going to be a different voice there. That makes a really big difference. I agree. You you want that sort of situation, and it's good for the organization, and it attracts people as well. Knowing that, hey, I can, I have my chance to succeed, and I will get promoted, or I will, you know, get a bigger spot outside. And I was going to ask you about Spags. Spags has been a head coach before. Is he going to get? hit up by people that are still looking for possible head coach, which I think is what? Uh, it's obviously the Cardinals. Has uh, Indy found their head coach yet? I don't believe so. So, No. Give me one sec. Okay. It, it's Anytime you have that, it's, it, it's a sign of a good, healthy organization. You can think of organizations that don't have that good, healthy situation. <laughs> Houston. Um Stuff like that. Hey, I want to call out everybody for watching. Clifford, thanks for joining us. Andrew, Swerve95, absolutely. Andrew, um, Dan, for being here. My worthless opinion, you made me smile with your comment about seeing Mahomes with more rings than Rodgers. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Davey Chains, my brother, I'm glad to see you here as well. Uh, Nick, for joining us tonight. It is good to see all of you here and sharing this Monday night with us. As we get going, we're going to get more and more into the draft. And Tyler's mm-hmm. going to hear shortly transition to cornerbacks. Now, I've got a question yeah. for him when we get to cornerbacks on style of play and how our new defensive coordinator. Brian Flores will influence 
how the Vikings may draft on that. Absolutely. Um, we'll, we'll be more than happy to talk about it. These last couple I'm going to pistol whip. Not because they're not important. I really want to get to this cornerback discussion, and I know that you guys are really excited about the draft stuff. That's why a lot of you are here, and I'm greatly appreciative that everybody has joined us right now live or even um, on the YouTube later or on podcast form. This one I found really interesting. Value linebackers, especially in the draft. Um, you saw a lot from the linebackers of the Chiefs. Willie Gay made a huge uh, couple plays, um, got some easy pressure on Hurts and forced him to make quick decisions and throw the ball away. Big Bolton had the scoop and score and almost had a second. Um, the, you can value linebackers and take them highly, and I'll read this from Kevin. As football has progressed, teams have begun to value linebackers less creating a ripple effect in how fans post the game. The fact is that linebackers still matter and can be a crucial piece to a team's defense. Select them throughout the draft allows teams to maximize team control because draft picks often receive multiple years of team control before entering free agency. Because they're, they're not valued as highly as far as dollar amounts, you can get guys uh, in the draft and not pay them very much and then allocate those dollars elsewhere. So, the Chiefs, in back-to-back years, spent second-round picks on linebackers, and it's paying off pretty nicely. Um, they were a huge factor in the Super Bowl win. Um, it's, yep. Depth Foot- over stars. Football changes. Go ahead. Linebackers 20 years ago was a big deal. You wanted Brian Erlacher, you know, in the middle. Running backs was a big deal. You wanted Adrian Peterson, your bell cow back. Football changes, however, but those – Positions still have importance, and I agree with you. Value the linebackers, and this ties in. We're going to talk about corners, but this ties into Brian uh, Flores' scheme as well, what type of linebackers he's going to like, and we'll talk about linebackers' availability in a draft in a future show. Yeah, um, I agree completely. Um, This one's interesting because it's value depth over stars at wide receiver. We have a star at wide receiver. Justin Jefferson's immensely valuable, but that's not the epitome of what this is. The epitome of what this is, Dave, is if you have multiple guys that can play very well at the wide receiver position, you don't need to rely on any one person. You can do a lot with what you, with those players, and you you can be multiple in doing so. And the guys, Darius uh, Tony, they traded for him uh, during the season, and he ended up with that big punt return and scored a touchdown. They drafted Sky Moore in the second round, got a jet sweep touchdown. Marquez Valdez-Scantling um, was that field stretcher and made made some a lot of plays down the stretch for this team. Juju Smith-Schuster, same thing. Uh, Justin Watson, really an unheralded guy that made a lot of big plays throughout the year. Have a lot of guys who can do different things and keep fortifying that room, and the Vikings can really do that, and I'm going to explain why here in a few minutes. Lastly, Tree. The secondary, similar to wide receiver, throw assets at it. And by throwing assets at it, Dave, here's what I mean. You don't need great players. You need a bunch of good ones, a bunch of guys who can play. Look at the Kansas City defense. Look at the Cincinnati defense. There's like a total of two great players on those two units, Jesse Bates and Justin Reed. That's it. The rest of the guys are guys who can play football. Get guys who can play football. Put them in the secondary and let the coaching figure out the rest. That's what I think the Vikings need to do at the corner position. And we're going to transition right now. I genuinely don't think, Dave, 
the Vikings should take a cornerback with their first overall pick in the draft. Here's why. Fortify it in free agency. Don't force it in the draft. You already have two guys you're developing. You have a third if you want to include Cameron Dantzler. You don't need to force it. There are other positions you can fortify, and you don't need great position, great players at corner. You need good ones because it's a weakling system. If somebody's bad, they're going to attack, 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 especially with this new defense where you're focusing a lot more in man coverage than you are in like um, soft zones, which is what they were doing at that Donatel. I think that you can find a guy later in the draft. This is a stupid deep cornerback class as well. I have 10, I, I have graded 12 cornerbacks. 10 of them have second round grades. The other two just missed second round grades at 79.9 and 79.0. This is a very good class. Of it. Aaron just asked, best available player? Should they look at that? Absolutely. That is, you here's how you should approach the offseason. Fortify in free agency and with the trade market, after great football players with your picks. If it lines up with need, great. Need should be a tiebreaker, should not be the decision maker. If the best player on the board is let's John say, Michael Smith. Yeah, you take him. Like that's or you trade. Like, don't force a pick. Just because it's a need. That's how you end up with guys who aren't very good, or you overdraft them, or you miss out on somebody who's great. Just take the Bingo. take the guy who you like the best. Um, and this cornerback class, Dave, is really, really, really good. Deep. Um, I released a piece on Vi- I released a piece on Vikings who are that had links to all my scouting reports um, from the cornerback position I've done so far. If you want to see them, go look at my Twitter profile at the Real Forno. My pinned tweet is my spreadsheet. It shows what players I've fully watched. It's got a link to their scouting report. And most importantly, it's it's it'll show you how I have guys tiered, how I have them stacked, and you can know exactly where I stand at a couple clicks of your mouse. It's that simple. Well, we know Brian Forrest likes to pre- play a press man type of defense. Are you indicating in your draft write-ups whether they'd be good in press man? Or not? Yes. Um, I, I tell you what I think they're good at. Um, I I think that there are some guys who are much better in press man than they would be in zone. I think some guys can't play press man. Um, the ultimate dream scenario, if you're set on cornerback, the ultimate dream scenario for the Vikings is getting Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State. He, The son of former Steelers linebacker Joey Porter. He's physical. He's he's like he's super aggressive, and he attacks, 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 attacks the hands, attacks the ball, attacks you. Impress. He does everything that you want. Now, is he going to make it there? No, I really don't think he will. I don't think any of the top three guys will make it. The consensus top three: Devin Witherspoon from Illinois is my number three. The um, Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State is my number two, and Christian Gonzalez from Oregon is my number one. They're all within 0.3 points on my grading scale. I value them all very highly. Now, I don't think any of them will be available to the Vikings. It's not the Vikings' fault. Well, actually, it is. They played too well. They're playing <laughs> their way out of getting one of those three guys. 
And I'm not, it's hard to complain about that, right? Unless you're tanking and then you end right. up with the fifth overall pick and all the quarterbacks are gone. Like with the Vikings, I don't think you have to take a corner because you can get a guy in free agency. Byron Murphy, Jonathan Jones, maybe Byron Jones becomes available from the Miami Dolphins. There are guys out there. Marcus Peters could be available at a decent price. Go get a guy, fortify the lineup. All you need is three bodies. Duke Shelley's probably going to be one of them. I would expect Chris Boyd to be a second because he's so good on special teams. That third body, Byron Murphy, Jonathan Jones, Marcus Peters. Now all of a sudden you go into the draft and you don't even need to think about cornerback. You probably still take one anyways. I think Cam Dancer could be just probably not going to be on this team at the start of the year because he's carrying a $3 million cap hit. Somebody might trade for him. And I don't think that he's in long-term vision of this team. And especially when you need to talk about clearing cap space, if you can get somebody to give you a fourth-round pick for Cameron Dantzler, you take it. That might be a little positive, a little aggressive, but it's something you need to cons- you need to think about. You need to think about long and hard. Um, I-, I think the Vikings need to focus on a couple different positions with that top pick. Wide receiver. Edge, and you know what? I'm going to throw this in there, and people are going to get mad. Safety, and here's what I mean. You can draft a guy like Brian Branch, Antonio Johnson, a guy who could do a lot of different things, and this is a completely different defense. You're going to have Harrison Smith do a lot of that riverboat gambler. I'm just going to mess around with an offense kind of stuff. Stuff he did with Zimmer. He's going to be great at that. You want to find your Javon Holland. Or you put Seen in that role, and you get a true deep safety. And I think safety, uh, jack-of-all-trades type, could be somebody that Brian Flores pounds the table for, especially Branch from Alabama. Saban trusted him to do everything. If Saban trusted you to do everything, Brian Flores is going to love that guy. And that's something you need to keep your eye on. I'm not going to say, hey, we should do it or we need to do it, but I'm going to totally get if we do it. Um, plus. It's also essentially a cornerback pick because he's going to play slot. He's going to do a little bit of everything. So you're going to be essentially fortifying multiple positions with a jack-of-all-trades kind of player. And that's that's something we need to keep an eye on. Mm -hmm. I know that kind of goes against my cornerback thing, but you're not just drafting a cornerback. You're drafting a a projectile missile. And I I think that's that's something. Flores loves speed. And we all do. Ooh, yes, these guys get faster. Mm-hmm. Yep. My dogs. Oh, he's somewhere. <laughs> as long as he isn't they eating probably... your internet cable. Well, he can't get to it. He already peed on my floor, so there's that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's this sweet boy. Hi, Odie. Little dogs, oh, little bladders. Oh, come here, sweet boy. Curtis, we talked about Lyman. And yes, it's a constant. We should constantly be developing and drafting linemen. Yes. And if you find one that's better than what we got, you move him in there. There he is, the good boy, Odie. Yes, he's growing. What's he got, a cigar in his mouth or what? Nope, it's a bone. Oh. Put you back down, buddy, okay? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he's a... He loves chewing on these bully bones that taste like peanut butter. Cool. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, um, Dave, I think that's going to be it for our show tonight. Um, almost everything we talked about tonight is going to be on Vikings wire. Um, I will link some stuff on my Twitter and so you can kind of take a look at kind of the different things we talked about and high recommend that you take a look and you'll be able to see a little bit more in-depth vision of what I'm seeing. And we're going to talk a lot more about this. This was a very Super Bowl show. As you can imagine, it's the biggest game on the NFL calendar. And it really tells a story about what the Vikings are going to be like um, long term because GMs and coaches take things from everybody. Merlin's in the other room, Freddie. Sorry, you don't get to see him today. They got to see Merlin for the first time on Saturday on Two Old Bloggers. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Well, Dave, this has been a good show. Um, What do we have going on this week? I know we have Two Old Bloggers coming up this Saturday, right? Are you guys Mm -hmm. back to Sundays? No, we're we're, we're, – well, that's a good question. I think we're going to stick with Saturdays, but um, yes – Tool Bloggers does have a show. We are going to have one this weekend. It should be Saturday. If it changes, I'll let everybody know. Uh, during the week, you can catch Vikings Happy Hour. They are pre-recording their shows and then posting them on the YouTube site. Okay. As far as other shows, wow. I think that's it for this week. Well, maybe if something breaks, Dave, maybe you and I will go live. Oh, um, absolutely. Something to keep it. Something to uh, be aware of, um, our uh, contracts with SB Nation, the Daily Norseman, where we um, do our podcast, um, has been terminated and will be ending February 28th. So with that in mind, we will be updating you on where, on how things are going to be changing. You're also going to be seeing a lot more of Dave and I, because we, with my new schedule, we are going to be tackling breaking news. We are going to be doing little shorts. You can get Really quick hitting information without spending a lot of time. We love having you for the full hour. But sometimes you don't have a full hour. Sometimes you have five minutes while, while you're in the bathroom. Sometimes you, you only have five minutes because you're on your lunch break at work. And we're going to try and get you really quality content in short spurts so you can get all your information on the Minnesota Vikings. So when we have more information, we will pass it along to you. But we want to just continue to let you know as we know more, because we we really care about you and we're grateful that you spend your time with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do we say there, buddy? Skull Vikings. Making your Mondays purple. Skull Vikings! Yeah! Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout-out goes to our partners, The Daily Norseman, where the best Vikings content can be found. And to Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.